Episode 5 The Conclusion Last week was December 5th, which marks the 90th anniversary of the repeal of alcohol prohibition in America. On November 7, 1933, Utah became the 36th state to sign repeal, nine months after Congress sent the repeal. 36 out of 48, that was the necessary votes to end 13 years of prohibition after three state conventions had approved it as of December 5, 1933. America went back to drinking. Well, not really. It is more accurate to say that America went back to legal drinking, since for all its worth, alcohol consumption had been between 60 and 70% higher during Prohibition than before. How is that possible, you may ask? With Prohibition, we see the so-called potency effect. When you ban a product, and people seek to get it anyway on the black market, they and the seller incur a risk. There's the risk of being caught, fined, jailed, sentenced to prison, if you take the risk of buying a product illegally, the government does distinguish sometimes how much of the product you will get in trouble for. For instance, many European countries have rules on the amount of cannabis in grams that you will get into legal trouble for. However, within the product itself, it makes no distinction, as in, it does not matter how potent your weed is. Same applies to alcohol. When all alcohol became illegal, it didn't matter whether you had a light beer or a bottle of whiskey. They were both equally illegal. So if you chose to break the law, you might as well make it worth your time. In fact, it was sensible for the dealer also to make it worth his time, since the demand for counterfeit whiskey was much higher than that of counterfeit beer. That is the potency effect. Prohibition incentivized rule breakers to increase their intake of alcohol, and thus, perversely, prohibition increased drinking. This is true across the board. The country of Bhutan ended its prohibition on cigarettes during COVID. The reason? Smoking rates had increased during Prohibition because dealers on the illicit market were better, faster and cheaper at providing the product. Also, they did not need to care about quality control. I mean, what are you going to do? Return a pack of smuggled cigarettes or a bottle of counterfeit whiskey because you didn't like the taste? There are no refunds when you buy from smugglers. There's no manager you can talk to. And with Prohibition, there's other consequences. Prohibition of, of something whether it's riding without a seatbelt, whether it's, you know, selling cigarettes, this creates new opportunities uh, for citizens to interact with the police. You remember Chris Freiman from episode one. Prohibition increases the opportunities of citizens to interact with the police. In the case of Eric Garner, it sounded a bit like this. Don't touch me, came over Don't touch me. Outrage sparked by this video from July. Garner, who had been accused of selling cigarettes illegally on New York's Staten Island, seen here being taken down by NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo. The story of Eric Garner went around the world. The sentence, I can't breathe, became famous, and the police officers involved in his ultimate death, infamous. Accused of selling cigarettes and arrested on the spot, police officers had put him in a chokehold, causing his eventual death. Eric Garner's mother, Gwen Carr, campaigns against a proposed prohibition on menthol cigarettes. She even sent a letter to the senator's office and today stood outside trying to get his attention. News 12's Caitlin Ulrich was there and she's got the latest details. 
Well, Garner's mother believes that this ban on menthol cigarettes would lead to more negative interactions between police officers and people of color in part because roughly 70% of black smokers smoke menthol cigarettes, and that's according to the CDC. She was joined by others interested in shooting down the ban, like former law enforcement and representatives for convenience store owners. And not only do they agree with Gwen Carr, Garner's mother, about the impact on the black community, but they believe it will create the sale of cigarettes on the black market. So now we're going to ask law enforcement to go into those communities, take action, but we didn't give them the necessary resources. We didn't have them sit at the table to ask them how to do this effectively and to ensure that we're engaged in the community. The ban was proposed under the Biden administration in 2021, and in early October, the FDA sent over its final rule to the White House, which is typically an indication that a mandate is in its final steps of approval. Question of government, in essence is which rules do you feel so strongly about that you risk involving police officers in them? The war on drugs is emblematic of this phenomenon. Hundreds of thousands of police officers have been tasked with enforcing the law on drugs, with armored vehicles, sniffer dogs, drug testing kits, special forces interventions in foreign countries. In Mexico, the war on drugs against cartels is so severe that Mexico is considered to be a country that is actively at war. Since 2006, 400 soldiers and over 4,000 police officers have been killed in the attempt to enforce narco-trafficking rules with no end in sight. Whether the war on narcotics will end is one thing. But how comfortable do we feel about adding more items to the list of banned products? When we look at the failure of the war on drugs, do we think, if only there were more products that police could search your house for, crack open your garage, bust your windows, search your pockets? I wonder how much the neo-prohibitionists think about those consequences of the rules they suggest. Do they think about it? Do they care? Do they believe that just because something becomes illegal, it actually goes away? I have a hard time believing they don't. Many of them are academics, studied people who are able to weigh the risks and benefits of policies. I would like to know. I've invited different groups to talk to me in this series, but none of them were willing to talk to me. Maybe they didn't think that I would give them a fair shot at their arguments. And if I hadn't given them the impression that I would, then that's a failing of mine. And look, maybe we don't have it all correct. Maybe making our own decisions doesn't lead us to the end-all, be-all happiness that someone else might have found for us. Part of being in this conversation is accepting that maybe the paternalists and the nannies, the anti-alcohol campaigners and the moms against vaping, prescribe something that would work for some of us. With all those maybes, however, there is one certainty. If we let others make the decisions for us, they're not ours anymore. So when others make the decisions for us about our health and ultimately the fun we allow ourselves to have, then the burden is also on them to answer the one question. Are you happy? I've tried to give you a picture of neo-prohibitionism, its actions and methods, but I've only scratched the surface of what's important. There are more stories to tell here more time to think about what makes us as a society live and work together, how we should interact, respect each other, protect each other, recognize that we don't all live the same lives. When all is done, all we really know is what we want for ourselves. So let me end this series with a quote by the late 20th century poet Fernando Pessoa, titled, If After I Die. If, after I die, they should want to write my biography, there's nothing simpler. I have just two dates, of my birth and of my death. In between the one thing and the other, all the days are mine. 
I am easy to describe. I lived like mad. I loved things without any sentimentality. I never had a desire I could not fulfill because I never went blind. Even hearing was to me never more than an accompaniment of seeing. I understood that things are real and all different from each other. I understood it with the eyes, never with thinking. To understand it with thinking would be to find them all equal. One day, I felt sleepy, like a child. I closed my eyes and slept. Fun Police is a Consumer Choice Center original podcast. This episode was written and researched by me, Bill Wirtz, editing by Jarosowski and myself. Check out our other podcasts, Consumer Choice Podcast and Consumer, spelled with EU, links in the description. Thank you for those who support our work with a donation, consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. This was the last episode of the Fun Police series. Thank you so much for your support on the series. Stay subscribed. There might very well be other content in the future. And please check out our other work we're doing in this campaign by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash fun dash police. Thank you and stay clear of the Fun Police.